and welcome to Look Down There, the show where we talk about all the things we don't talk about. I'm your host, Michelle Lamore. Today, my guest is a pleasure-positive sex educator and CEO of Sexpert Consultants in Washington, D.C. It is a company geared towards bridging the gap in adult sexual education, and today we are here to talk about sex and cannabis. Oh, <laughs> the fun we're going to have. Here she is, my guest today, Reba Corrine Thomas, a.k.a. Reba the Diva. Hi, Reba. Hello, hello. Hi, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here today. Yes, so excited to talk to you and to meet you. And um, Diva, tell me what Diva means to you. Yeah, so my um, I'm actually named after my grandmother, who is the original Reba the Diva. I'm kind of like the junior version. And so Diva has always had a really positive connotation for me. Um, it's a person who, you know, has a very like cool sense of style, um, and is very like unique and true to themselves. Also very outwardly just spontaneous and talented, um, and a person that people naturally gravitate to. That's, that's how I would define the word diva. I love it. So diva just runs in your family. I think so. That's great. Are there, are there any divas, um, besides your grandmother that you look up to? Oh, for sure. Um, I would definitely say that like, um, Rihanna is a diva that I love for her unapologetic sexuality. I just, I love that about her. Um, I think a person who probably wouldn't describe themselves as a diva, but I look at them as a diva because of the work that they've done is, um, Audrey Lord. Uh, <laughs> <Right>? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, big diva for me. Um, who else? Obviously like Beyonce is like queen diva to me. Like she's, when you think about diva, like that's the epitome of, of that and before her, I think it was like Whitney Houston and, you know, Aretha Franklin and Shaka Khan, like those folks. So, um, those are the, like, that's, those are goals for me. Yeah. So was that like kind of, you know, the idea of the diva and the gravitation towards that, did that bring you into the world of pleasure and sexual education? Is that something that inspired you? A hundred percent. I've always been, if I could be like a diva of something, I would say I'm the pleasure diva, right? Like that's my, that's the thing I've always been drawn to. Like when people used to ask me, like as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say happy because I recognize that adults were not happy. Like they just were not. And I, whatever it is that I did with my life, I wanted to be a happy person. And so I realized that that like, that's my like beginnings of focusing on what pleasure looks like for me. I, you know, always approached my life as like, is this a thing that I want to do? What do I desire? I'm very driven by my desires. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would definitely say like, that's pleasure is my, that's like my mantra for sure. I love that. I love that as a kid, you saw that and and that was your answer. Happy. It wasn't like, I want to be this profession or that. It was just simply, I want to be happy. And I think that's freaking brilliant. And, um, it's one of those things that can be so elusive to us, just like pleasure. Um, and, and happiness just like pleasure is a pursuit, right? And it's not something that just happens to us. It's not like a passive thing. And, kind of something that I just realized about my own life 
lately, like really soon, like within the past three weeks or so is I've looked around and I said, oh, I'm happy. <laughs> like, cause I've, I've been really conscious about pursuing pleasure and pursuing the things that make me happy. And, um, it was my birthday recently and somebody said, oh, you know, I hope that you do something fantastic. And I just said, well, I do something fantastic every day. And I was like, I do, I do do that. And it's, it's not something that I could have said, you know, when I was a kid your age saying, you know, following your desires and wanting to be happy. So that's brilliant. Yeah. Has there ever been any moment where you questioned that, that path or that drive to follow your desires, or has it always been easy for you to come to? I mean, look, we live in a world that robs us of our pleasure and desire at every turn, right? And um, a lot of my desires um, in my, like, 20s and even, like, no, I'd say in my in my 20s, mostly, most of my desires were, like, what I call manufactured, right? They were, like, desires that I should have. Like, I want to be married. I want to have kids. I want to spray um, and so I like went ahead and pursued those desires and realized, oh, wait a minute, I don't want this. Like, this is not what I truly desire. Like, what is the thing that I desire? Like that drives me, that makes me wake up in the morning and go, oh, yes, I'm happy. Like the, that fire, right? Um, and so I really started passionately and radically pursuing pleasure for myself in my late twenties, let's say, Right around the time that my, bar, my daughter was born and I started my company was the time that I was like, I'm just going to go where my heart takes me and see what, I'm just going to see what happens. Like I started, I was doing grassroots nonprofit advocacy work because I had a DC job. That was my desire. I wanted one. No, I didn't. I hated my life. Like it was terrible. Um, and so I started teaching these pleasure workshops kind of on the side, almost as a joke. Like I was selling sex toys as a side hustle and um, started teaching classes, you know, by demand of the, you know, people that I would be seeing in my, in my work. And here we are seven years later and I am like full time doing this work. And so I don't think seven years ago, if, if I told myself then I was going to quit my nonprofit job and like work as full-time as a sex educator, I probably would have laughed you under the table. Like that is not a thing that pays bills, like not at all. Very practical. Um, but pleasure sometimes isn't practical. So. Yeah. The, the desires sometimes make no sense. Yeah. And it's really just about following the things that make you happy. Just like you said, like following that passion without having like a preconceived idea of where it should end up. Yeah. That's where we like cut ourselves off from pleasure a lot of times because we have this idea of like what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it's the package it's supposed to be in that we don't even realize sometimes that like pleasurable experiences are passing us by because it doesn't look like the thing we expected it to, or, you know, wanted it to. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in all your years as a, as a sex educator, you know, I mean, adults need a lot of sexual education from the ground up. Um, as many adults haven't had this to talk about these things. Um, 
So is there anything that has surprised you in your classes where, um, you know, you didn't expect that people didn't know this, or is there like a common thread now that you see, or you can expect in your classes? Yes and no. Um, so I kind of start off all of my classes with some baseline kind of like, what's your level of understanding questions? Like I'll show a photo of the clitoris. What's this? Name this. Just to kind of meet people where they are. Um, I think what was shocking in the beginning of my career was how many people with clitorises couldn't identify clitoris. I mean, still to this day. It's pretty shocking, right, um, that we're born with these things and that no one is teaching us what they look like, how they're attached to our bodies, how they work. Uh, so I think that was one thing that really shocked me. But I think another thing is like, you know, people with <clears throat> prostates and penises also don't know how their bodies work either. Because when we start talking about prostate massage and prostate milking, <laughs> people get really uncomfortable. And I'm like, ah, yes, this is pleasure. Like, this is how your pleasure works. Um, and so, yeah, I think the lack of awareness around our pleasure is one thing that continues to, uh, I think, surprise me a little bit, right? Because as a person who is now in tune very much with my pleasure, it's hard to go back to those times you know, when I wasn't, right? Like when I didn't really understand, right? That's a, yeah, especially with so many people now talking about it and like you've got Netflix and principles of pleasure out there. Like, so I just, there's so many more resources now that I can point to that I couldn't point to in 2015 when I started this work. Um, so I feel like, you know, the zeitgeist around pleasure and knowing your pleasure for yourself is growing. So I'm expecting people to know more when they walk in the door and they just don't. And I mean, I understand why, but it's still something that's a little surprising. Yeah, there is so much work to do. And I totally understand what you're saying where you, you are in it. Like you are in this world all the time, having these conversations as am I. And so what can happen is what I've discovered is sometimes I, I feel like a bit removed from the needs of people that don't have access to this information or these conversations. And then I'm always surprised. And I'm like, no, like this is most of the, this is most of the country. I don't know that I'll say the world because I, I'm not sure, but I think definitely most of the country. I even venture to say most of the world, just given that I do have a good amount of international clients and we're all <clears throat> suffering from the same lack of understanding and awareness around how our bodies work and how pleasure works and the taboo of not being able to talk about it. So I think that's the theme that I see throughout all cultures, throughout all like places and spaces that that theme of like shame and a lack of understanding. Yeah. 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 And I would just say uh, in general, I think communication is difficult, whether you're talking about pleasure or sex or whatever. I mean, just, just being, having the skills to communicate. I think that is kind of a lost art. Could, should I call it an art, a lost skill? Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure 
why that is. Of course, I want to blame social media because I, I hate it. <laughs> Do you have any, um, any theories as to why, you know, that kind of skill is, is deteriorating? Yeah. Um, I have a couple of ideas and I think, I mean, not to blame technology, right? But we don't really have to um, communicate as clearly and as often as we need to because of technology, right? Like technology makes it very easy for us to just shorthand our feelings and thoughts and, and all of that, right? So we don't really have to be very present in the way that we communicate. And so when we communicate about intimate things, we are... There's a vulnerability there, right? And I think there's a lot of fear around how that vulnerability is going to be received because if vulnerability is received with compassion, then that becomes intimacy, right? But if vulnerability is received with rejection, then that becomes embarrassment, right? And so vulnerability is at the center of it. So nobody really wants to be vulnerable anymore, right? We start talking about um, like all kinds of things outside of the subject when we feel uncomfortable, right? When we start to feel that vulnerability, we, as humans, it's just our nature to just shut it down because that's kind of exposing like the soft underbelly of who we are um, and hoping that the person that we're showing it to will react in a way that is compassionate. And I also believe that we live in a world that um, is is that forgets about compassion sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. And I like what you said about the shorthand. And when you say shorthand, I immediately think about emojis, you know, just sending, and there's, there's no room for nuance with emojis, right? Um, You can read into it. Like what is splishy splash upside down face mean I don't know like <laughs> um but yeah I, and and this, so there's not a lot of nuance there of like with with how we're communicating our emotions um but pleasure and intimacy is full of nuance it is it is it's full of nuance and and that vulnerability and the more you do it with a person, the better it seems to get. And it's hard to flex that muscle, right? Um, and I think some of the ways that we like inadvertently uh, flex that, that vulnerability muscle um, are through like creativity and play and rest, right? Um, and so when we can like build time for creativity and play and rest, and flex that vulnerability muscle, it gives us, I think, the strength and the, uh, you know, that muscle becomes strong. And so we're able to, 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 to be vulnerable with each other a little more. Yeah. I like that flexing the vulnerability muscle. I, in my classes, I talk about, um, kind of like going to the emotional gym where like you're working on that emotional six pack. Right. And it's something like none of us want to do. None of us even want to go to the gym regularly, like to work on our physical body, but, but like to, to do it in a way that, you know, that doesn't immediately get the gratification or validation that, working on your, your physical body, um, can get, it can not be very motivating to like go in and like 
deep dive and flex that vulnerability muscle or even find it. You know, it's a hard, it's a hard muscle to find. It is really hard to find um, because we spend a lot of time. And I find that people who present more masculinely, right, have a harder time because we, they're like, society says, if you're masculine, you are not at all vulnerable ever, right? You must protect yourself all the time. And so, um, yeah, I, I definitely understand why it, it's hard for us. Yeah. Now, is something like cannabis uh, make vulnerability perhaps easier to access? A lot, I think so. Uh, I think because of the way that cannabis kind of um, uninhibits our brains, uh, I believe that that helps us to not only access that vulnerability, like this, this, a safe space, a space where we feel safe being vulnerable, but also it helps us access pleasure, right? And so we get positive feelings from being vulnerable in those spaces, right? Also, like, if I'm being honest, when you get high around a person, that's vulnerability. Like, that is definitely a level of vulnerability that I think people often take for granted, right? Like, I am not going to be high in spaces that I don't feel safe in. So, yeah. Yeah. So how can cannabis elevate your sexual experience? Like, of course we have, we have the, the vulnerability, but like physically what, what can this contribute to? Yeah. So there's a bunch of ways that you can apply cannabis topically to help enhance pleasure. Right. So, um, cannabis works really well if you're experiencing, um, pain, uh, when, with, with sexual intercourse, uh, especially if that pain is due to like muscle, muscle tension, uh, because cannabis can help with, you know, the, the relaxation of those muscles. Um, the other thing that I love, and also like it can be applied in a suppository, um, that also kind of helps increase pleasure, pleasure sensations. There's also, um, a, um, like it helps with the blood flow, the way that our blood flows to our genitals when we apply it topically, especially to the general region, it can really help with blood flow. And blood flow is important because that's how arousal works for people with penises and people with clitorises. When we become aroused, our genitals swell with blood and they become firm and, and like yeah, excited, right? And so when, if you need help with blood flow, if you're having a hard time with that blood flow circulating, cannabis topically can really help. Um, and there's lubes, there's oils, there's like lotions, there's suppositories, like I said. Um, but if you're gonna use a cannabis infused product, A, you wanna make sure you're paying attention to the ingredients, but B, you also wanna make sure um, that you're putting it on about 20 minutes before you're, you know, wanting to be aroused because it does take some time, right? It has to absorb through the skin and kind of marinate and do what it does. And so you got to give it a little time. Okay. So few questions. Um, is there, are there THC in these products or is this like CBD, CBG only, or can you do like combos of the or what, what kind of ingredients are we looking for? Yeah. So 
I will say that CBD, at least scientifically, has been um, proven to have more of an effect topically on than THC would on the body. Uh, but with that said, I am a whole plant advocate, right? Um, so you can, there are um, great formulations that are made with CBD and CBG only, right? Which are legal in 51 states. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so what was I gonna say? Yes, okay. So though, like I have a product recommendation, if you will, for the CBD uh, products. And so there is a company called Foria. Foria is a great company. Um, and I love their Awaken arousal oil. It's my favorite. Uh, it kind of smells like chocolate and peppermint, um, but it is CBD, uh, like for, uh, full spectrum CBD, no THC in this formulation. They used to make a THC formulation, but it, they don't anymore. Um, so I like that for the CBD if you're looking for something that's CBD only, but THC wise, um, I really like Velvet Swing out of Colorado. Um, it was the first formulation and I think I might be a little biased because my friend Chelsea Sabara is the, um, helped formulate this loop. So, um, but yeah, they, I really like um, Velvet Swing for THC based loops. Oh, okay. I like, I haven't, I may have heard of Velvet Swing. I don't know. Um, that sounds good. I'm excited to go try that. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, what are some other ingredients surrounding this that we want to be mindful of? Yeah. So because the THC CBD loop market is fairly new, you may find loops that aren't vulva owner friendly, right? So you want to Stick to things that are water-based, pH safe. Um, coconut oil is a really good carrier oil as well. That's what Foria uh, uses. And so I'd, I'd look for ingredients like coconut oil, water-based lubricants. Um, you want to stay away from anything that has any kind of sweetener in it, like sucralose or anything like that. You want to, that's bound to cause a yeast infection. So um, yeah, that's, that would be my those are my like top tips for sure. Yeah. So do you recommend this, um, topically only, or what about like doing edibles or, um, smoking or <clears throat> tinctures or anything like that? Like, does that have the, the same kind of effect or a totally different effect? Totally different effect. Right. So applying things topically, um, are not necessarily going to give you like a very like heady high, right? Um, but if you eat an edible or you ingest cannabis by smoking or some other way, um, then yes, you're going to get a headier high, right? It's going to be a lot, a little bit more psychoactive, right? And so what's important is understanding your dose, especially before sexual experiences for two reasons. One, you want to make sure that like you are consenting and that you are like actually fully functional and conscious to do the things that you're consenting to. Right. Um, the second thing is if you do too much THC, right. If you're, if you take too much THC, you can like pass out, like you can just go right to sleep. And that is not conducive for sexual experiences and people with penises may even experience, you know, um, 
a lack of being able to become erect when they have had too high levels of THC. So yeah, it is um, definitely not something to play with. Kind of like, kind of like alcohol, right? Like you can have a glass of wine. It kind of gets the edge off. It helps you get into a more pleasurable space, but too much and you're throwing up and wondering why sexy time did not happen. So yeah, I a hundred percent think like you need to know your dose, right? Like I know that I can have two glasses of wine before things, before I'm not fine anymore, right? So you got to understand like, what is your, what are your limits? Um, and then what is your intent? What's the intention? Why are you doing, why are you doing this? <laughs> is it like to be high? <laughs> is it to have enhanced experiences? And then you can gauge like, what's the level that I, that's required for my intent here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have very little experience with cannabis, like, you know, smoking it or, or otherwise, um, I had an edible once and, um, I did the classic thing of like, I don't feel this and then had more and then like, Oh, it's all I could feel. And I was like, when is this going to (laughs) end? Awful. Like, why do people do this? Um, but then I had heard like, oh, sex is really great when you're high. And I was like, well, I guess I'll try it. But I was like, I don't see the, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> like I've had a lot more luck with the topical stuff, but like that situation, exactly like you were saying was like way beyond, way beyond my limit. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> so I, we, I definitely don't recommend edibles at all for cannabis and sex, right? Like if you're, you know, you want to have a fun experience, edibles are great. But if you are, your intent is to enhance your sexual experiences, edibles is not, those are not the, the, play, the way to go. One, because they take at least 30 to 50 minutes to like take an effect in your system. And many people do exactly what you did. And that's half too much because they're like, ah, oh, it's been 10 minutes. I don't feel anything. Right. And so I definitely recommend smoking or topical, um, over edibles. Any yeah. Day. So what's like, what's a good, not intimidating way to kind of find your dosage? Like what questions should you be asking when you go to a, a dispensary? And a lot of dispensaries, I think also have these lubes or some of them do. I know that I've seen them in there. Yes, they should. Yeah. Um, I've seen them in dispensaries now too. Um, so I would be asking, um, what, how many, milligrams of THC are, is, is this, right? Because you, I'd say start with like 10 milligrams, right? So if you've got, you know, I don't know, a vape pen that has a thousand milligrams in it, right? And there's 15 puffs, you can assume that <clears throat> each puff is gonna be about hundred milligrams. So you don't want to take that one, right? That's a lot of milligrams to take at once, right? Um, I think it's probably easier to measure your dosage, like your dose in like a tincture, um, you know, that has a certain amount that has a dropper. You can measure and know, okay, I had this many milligrams of THC and I felt like this, right? And, and I also recommend keeping a journal, right? Seeing how like writing down, you know, either while you're high or after you've experienced your high, well, how did that feel, right? Was it too much, too little? Did you feel anything? Um, if you add more, what does that feel like, right? So that you can, you can know, like, 
how does this work for me? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like aspirin too, right? Like, you know, some people have to take two or three or four for their level of pain, right? So I think the same is true for cannabis. Like you have to know kind of how it's going to affect your body. And the way to do that is just to just introduce it to yourself slowly. Yeah. Um, would it be okay to use um, a tincture that you would normally ingest on your genitals? Depends on what it's made out of, mm. right? Sometimes tinctures, people will add honey or, you know, things that are not vulva friendly to, or to the tincture. So I want to be very sure of what's in it before I did that. If it's just like MCT oil and mm. CBD, like would that work? I would just check to make sure that the tea oil is, is okay for, for those parts and if it's safe, then yeah, I try it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I gotta go. Um, Oh, all right. Well, I have one more question or something else I want to know about, because I was looking at your site and this sounded really lovely. And I'm, I know that we were chatting before about, you know, that you are all about like the sensuality and, and uh, everything else surrounding pleasure rather than just like orgasm. Um, so tell me about your sex and sensuality circle. Cause that sounds super delicious. Yeah, we actually are having it tonight. <laughs> uh, so our sex and sensuality circle is um, led by our sex expert members. And basically we have a theme every month. Um, this month, I think it is self-pleasure. Yeah. And we just host a circle about sex. We are, our, one of our goals is to normalize conversations around sex and intimacy. And so if you have a question or you are like, you know, you have a like thing that you just want to share, whether it's anonymously in our chat box or, you know, verbally via, you know, your mouth on the Zoom screen, um, you can show up to our virtual um, circle and just like get some sex word advice. Our members show up. Um, we have lots of like regular, just people who are on their sexual empowerment journey who come in and like report back. And it is very much a support group for people who want to talk about their sexual experiences and their feelings around them. Mm, Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing all the work that you do and for spending time with me. Um, Please tell everyone where to find Reba the Diva. Yes. So you can find me on all social platforms at Reba the Diva. And you can find me online at RebaTheDiva.com. Beautiful. So, so appreciate your time. Okay, everybody, make sure you go follow Reba the Diva, spread your legs and spread the love. Like us, follow and subscribe. You can follow me at I Look Down There or at Michelle Amore. And remember that confidence comes from the bottom up. So grab a mirror and look down there. Till next time. Bye.